You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. It is so good to be in God's house with you. Amen. And I'm delighted to be able to bring to you the word of the Lord. And uh, we're going to go into the book of Luke this morning. And I'm thankful for the word today. Amen. We need the word of the Lord. Okay, we need it. We need it to help navigate through this season that we're in. And uh, what I'm going to teach about today, talk about, is from... um, a series we're doing at Life Group at our church in Quispam, uh, based largely upon the book The Bait of Satan by John Bevere, I felt to bring it to us today, and uh, we're going to talk about an area of life that is going to touch everybody. And uh, I think that's the beauty of the word, is it describes itself as being a mirror, and it lets us see ourselves in truth, because you need to see truth about who you are. And the scriptures are going to do a good job today at bringing us to a very important part of living life. Luke chapter 17, in verse number one, give honor today to Pastor Robertson, Pastor Carter, amen, and you incredible people here. We love you, and we're thankful that we can do this journey with you, amen. Jesus warns um, of a particular thing. Uh, attitude that can come. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible that no offenses should come. I'm going to talk today through the help of the Spirit and the Word and everyone here on this. I am offended. Look at your neighbor and through your face covering, say, I am offended. Maybe you really are offended. I don't know. Maybe you had the, you know, maybe just like WrestleMania broke out in the car on the way to work today or church today and you're just, you're offended. Has that ever happened to you? No. I'm going to church and just like, I don't want to be there. Sorry for being a little bit real. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for your goodness today, for the word today. I pray today, God, our time is spent well in your presence. I pray you challenge us today. Let the Spirit speak to us in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Has anybody at Mission Point today, have you ever been offended? I am not trying to stir up the past here. I'm not trying to to rile you up and, you know, open up some anger fantasy you put to rest, you know, last week that you're upset about this and that, and you read this on Facebook, and they looked at you funny that way, and they didn't ask you to do this, and why would they say that? We've all been offended. 
All right? We've all been offended. Now, mind you, don't take offense to this. Uh, some of us are more easily offended than others. All right? And please do not look to your left or to your right right now. We're trying to minimize that today, not, not draw attention to it. But we've all been offended. And it seems like in the climate that we live in today, being offended is just a part of daily living. It doesn't really matter what religious denomination you cling to, what political stripe you wear, where you work, who you are. You, you see offended people everywhere. Everywhere you see them. And everybody here today has experienced being offended. Okay? You've been the victim. You've been the one who's hurt. But you've also been the one who's offended somebody. So before your pity party comes and the woe is me, and be, be real with yourself that just as much as you've been offended, you have caused offense. So nobody here today is excluded, yours, me too here, in this. Everybody has experienced being offended. Let's talk about it. It imprisons countless people being offended. It severs relationships, and it widens existing breaches that already exist between us. Most often, and here's the truth about being offended, most often it's the people closest to us that hurt us the most. Wouldn't you agree? It's a close family member or a fellow Christian. You know, the Bible gives light to this in Psalm 55, verses 12, 13, and 14. The writer says this, It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Being offended hurts a whole lot more when it's when it involves somebody close to you. In the church, it's people that we sit alongside of. Again, don't look left or right. Or it could be the one delivering the sermon. At home, it could be the one we grew up with, we confide in, or it could be the one you lay next to at night that causes offense. The closer the relationship, just write this down, the closer the relationship, the more severe the offense is. Amen. You find the greatest hatred amongst people who were once very, very close together. Attorneys will tell you that most, the most vicious cases in divorce, are in divorce courts. The media constantly reports murders in homes by desperate family members. The home, meant designed by God to be a shelter of protection and provision and growth, where we learn to give and receive love, is often the root of our pain. 
History shows the bloodiest of wars are those that are civil. Brother against brother, son against father, father against son. This one simple truth remains throughout history and today. Only those you care about can hurt you. The Greek word offend in Luke 17 and 1, it comes from this word called scandalon. And this word originally referred to the part of a trap to which a bait is attached to. Hence the word signifies laying a trap in somebody's way. In the New Testament, it often describes entrapment used by the enemy. Offense today, everybody, is a tool of the devil that brings people into captivity. You show me somebody offended, I'll show you someone taken captive. I'll show you someone who is obsessive over something. Being offended is very, very much captivating in our lives. Is this okay today? Paul is speaking to Christians in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 24. He says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. And someone said, amen. All right. Are you a servant of God? Please be kind. Oh, I thought I was certainly going to get a more of an amen on that. Uh, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Have you talked to any difficult people recently? You know, I'm not going to throw anything at you. You can interact with me today. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. People who are in quarrels, all right, or in opposition fall into a trap and are held prisoner to really do the devil's bidding. Ultimately, this, what's the devil's will? What's Satan's main thrust? Divide the body of Christ. Turn it onto itself. Make it fight inwardly so it collapses from the inside out. I'll add this. The devil has a very, you know, deliberate mode of operation. Okay? And you can probably trace it to this in your life on many different um, falls or places where you've seen the devil get the upper hand on you because that just happens, right? The devil gets the upper hand occasionally, all right? This is usually what happens. He, he usually deceives us and then divides us. So deception will usually go before division. So be careful that you're not deceived. Amen? When a person is deceived, he believes he is right even though he's not. I hate being told I'm wrong. Does anybody else share that emotion with me? Yeah, I don't like being told I'm wrong. You know, no one likes that. 
no matter what the scenario, here's where we all are at today. We can divide all offended people into two categories. The first, those who have been treated unjustly. That's number one. Number two, simply this, those who believe they have been treated unjustly. Those who have been and those who think they are. The second category, you know, they believe with all their hearts that they've been wronged. Often their conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information. Well, their information is accurate, but their conclusion is distorted. Either way, the hurt, they hurt, excuse me, and their understanding is darkened by their interpretation of what happened. They judge by assumption, appearance, and hearsay. And I dare say we all do that occasionally. The heart, everyone say my heart, it's deceitful. It's deceitful. You can't follow your heart. It'll lead you all kinds of places, rabbit holes you never thought existed. They'll get, it, it, your heart will get you there. So you need something that's a little more concrete and principled and fundamental and foundational to help keep you anchored. Don't follow your heart. You'll follow it right off a cliff. The heart is, is deceitful, and you've got to know its condition in, in order for you to be able to properly address it. And offended people, a lot of times, it's our hearts that need to have the overhaul. It's, it's a deep, deep work of the heart that has to be really looked at. One of the ways the enemy keeps a person offended and in that state is to keep offense hidden. Everyone say pride. Pride. Pride always keeps you from admitting what you truly are experiencing. Pride always has a way of us hiding the true condition of our lives. Nobody likes to admit that they've got faults. Nobody wants to admit that they have issues or they're offended. No one wants to show the deficiencies of life. And if that's the posture that we have and that's what we purport to people, we're prideful and we're deceiving them and we know our true hearts and we're just putting on a front. That'll catch up with you. The pride will catch up with you. Has it ever caught up with anybody here? You can only run that game so long. Pride causes a lot of hurt in our lives, a lot of hidden hurt in our lives. You never change when you think everything is fine. And actually, you console yourself by someone else's faults bigger than yours, so at least you're not that bad. We do that, don't we? The benchmark of my holiness is better than theirs, so woo, as long as I'm better than them, I'm, I'm okay. Listen. Don't make somebody else's life the benchmark of how holy or righteous you should live. Leave that to the word of the Lord. You, you need to be so concerned with living as the word should, should teach us. Let that be the benchmark of godliness you're trying to attain. Let that be what you're trying to strive for. Let that be the definition of who you are as a person. Don't live by saying, well, at least I'm not bad as Brother Robertson. And he's pretty good. <laughs> he's really good, actually. One of the greatest Christians I know. Him and Pastor McKenzie in Halifax, like the two greatest Christians I know, if I was only as good as they are. But you can't make people the benchmark of your, your Christian success. That's got to be the word of the Lord. 
that's got to be, we all get to that destination of being our true character in Christ at different speeds. So don't let the speed of your neighbor deteriorate or, de, you know, allow you to feel like you're not doing well enough. Listen, don't worry about your neighbor. They got their own issues. They've got their own shortcomings and faults and failures and things they don't like about themselves. Stop looking at them and saying, I wish I was like that person. Don't, don't defile the image that God has made you out of. Reach for what he has for you. Get your mind on that word and let it, let it develop you. Pride can cause us to really look at ourselves as a victim. And your attitude becomes, I, I was mistreated and misjudged, and therefore I'm justified in my behavior. By the way, we always try to find ways we justify to justify our behavior. Because we can't fathom being wrong. I've got good reasons to slap them. I've got good reasons to tear you apart on social media. No, we're not justified ever to do that. Don't let your pride lead the way there. We withhold forgiveness. Ah, someone today, don't do that. Don't withhold forgiveness. That produces bitterness. I heard it said this way, bitterness is like drinking poison. You drink it and expect the other person to die. It only hurts you. We withhold forgiveness because we were innocently and falsely accused. Listen today. Just because you've been mistreated, and I'm not, I'm not detracting from any mistreatment you may have had. Okay, don't get offended, please, by me saying that. Just because you've been mistreated doesn't give you permission to hold an offense. Here's the simple thing that we tell our children. Two wrongs do not make a right. In the book of Revelations, Jesus gives us a cure to help us with making sure we don't live this offended life. I hope it's okay today. Jesus addresses the church of Laodicea by first telling them how they saw themselves. So they had their own, they had their own opinion of themselves. Yeah, they, 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 they saw themselves a certain way, just like you do. You see yourself in a certain way. But here's the thing. You can lie to yourself. You can tell yourself all kinds of stuff, and if you tell it to yourself enough, you'll eventually start to believe it. The Lord sees past what you even think about yourself to be true and sees the true person. So the Laodiceans saw themselves in a certain light. The Scripture says they saw themselves as rich and wealthy and having need of nothing. Then Jesus does something. The only way to truly change is to do what? Expose true condition. Right? So you, you go to the doctor if you want to get healthy. You, you have to have the doctor tell you what is sick in you so he can help make it better in you. It's no different than coming to the Lord, asking him to help us become better. In order for him to show us how to become better, he has to expose the areas of our lives that are sick. So the Laodiceans said, hey, we're wealthy, we're rich, we don't need anything. We're all right. Well, you, you put that up against the, the Lord and his ability to see everything in his omniscience, all-knowing characteristic of God, 
The Bible says this. He exposes it in Revelation 3 and 17. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need anything. And you don't realize. This is what scares me. What's in my life that I don't realize? See, this is where when we say, like David did, Lord, search me, know me, try my reins, or test my integrity, God begins to show you things that you didn't even know were there. You didn't what? I didn't realize that was there. I think that's the relationship that Jesus wants to have with his children. We can come to prayer. I'm, I feel the Holy Ghost today. We can come to prayer and begin to tell him everything that's right and everything that's wrong. But have you ever in prayer, and this is where I'm at a lot of times, Lord, what's in me that I don't even realize is there? And if you pray boldly like that, the Lord will show you some things not to make you feel horrible. But we'll see here in just a, a minute. He, he shows the Laodiceans. You think you don't need anything, and you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, Jesus' assessment against their assessment was much different. They had mistaken their financial strength for spiritual strength. Pride hid their condition. Let's remind ourselves today, pride hides truth because truth sometimes hurts. And Jesus gives them some advice. I want his advice. All right, I want the Lord's advice in any situation. He says this in verse 18 of Revelation 13. I advise you to buy from me, buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white, from, white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. You see, God's, God's carrying out of correction and discipline on us as his people, it's not because he's on a power trip and hates us and wants to hurt us and likes to see us squirm. He's not, he's not like that. Any type of correction that God gives you and I, it's rooted in love to make us better. It's kind of like when you discipline your child, you do it out of love. You know, the old thing is like, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. That always messed with me. Like, Let's just trade places. It's, it's like that. Like, I'll beat you around for a while, or I'll, I'll put pepper on your tongue. Have, have I ever had that before? Pepper on your tongue? I did. Once. That's it. But the Lord corrects those he loves. His first instructions for breaking free from deception was to buy gold from him refined in a fire. And I'm going to hurry along here. Refined gold is, is quite something. It's soft and pliable. It's free from corrosion and other substances. It's when gold is mixed with other metals like copper, iron, or nickel that it becomes hard, less pliable, and more corrosive. The mixture at this point is called an alloy. The higher the percentage of foreign metals, the harder the gold becomes. 
Conversely, the lower the percentage of alloy, the softer, more flexible the gold is. And we see a beautiful parallel here. A pure heart. A pure heart is like pure gold. It's soft, it's tender, and it's pliable. Hebrews 30 and 13 says this, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. You see, the, the, the enemy has a tactic. It's to introduce foreign materials into your heart so it becomes hard. And we can, we can go back and forth as to what we think those materials are, but the greatest, one of the greatest heart hardeners that the devil can introduce to you and I is bitterness, being offended, hatred because that has no mercy and that hardens your heart so so much and the Lord wants to extract all of those things out of you so your heart will become soft and tender pliable our hearts are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin if we don't deal with an offense it will produce more fruit of sin such as bitterness anger and resentment the added substance hardens our heart just like alloy hardens a gold. This reduces and removes tenderness, creating a loss of sensitivity. We are hindered in our ability to hear God's voice. Our accuracy to see is darkened. It's the perfect setting to be deceived. Step one of refining gold, and that's where we want to be, isn't it? Refining God's hands is grinding it up into a powder and mixing it with something called flux. The mixture is placed in a furnace. Your furnaces are going to get turned on here soon because it's almost winter. I said it. There you go. The mixture is placed in a furnace and melted by intense heat. The alloys and impurities are drawn to the flux and rise to the surface while the gold, which is heavier, remains at the bottom. The impurities, or the dross, you've heard it said, is then removed, yielding a pure metal. But you don't separate the alloy from the gold without some heat. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. How does God refine us? He says this, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Life's trials Life's trials are the furnace to which heats up and can extract the impurities of our life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have grieved, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ. God refines with affliction, afflictions, trials, and tribulations. The heart of which separates, the heat, pardon me, of which separates impurities like unforgiveness, strife, bitterness, anger, envy, from the character of God in our lives. Sin easily hides where there's no heat. Trials and afflictions. Even in prosperity and success, even, in, even a wicked man will seem kind and generous. 
Under the heat of trials is when impurities begin to surface. The trial of your life reveals what's been laying dormant all along. Events that take place that cause emotions to surface and reactions to take place and words to be spoken and anger to be embraced and and bitterness to be put. That's not anything new. It was there. It just took the affliction or the tribulation or the trial to bring that to the surface in order for it to be exposed. The problem is, is we try to suppress that back down again and not deal with it. Only to have it, it rear its ugly head the next time we endure a trial. So the Lord uses the afflictions and tribulations of life to surface some things within us so we can see our true condition in order to take care of it. In order to do something called repentance. Because repentance puts us in proper perspective with ourselves and God. We understand at that moment when we're asking God to forgive us that we're ready to turn from this way of life to a better way of life. You see, it's not all about feeling bad, crying, showing remorse. It's about a change of direction. That when the sin and the stuff in your heart that's been revealed by the afflictions you're going through and you're like, where'd this come from? The Lord's like, it's always been there. But now that we see it, let's take care of it. Let's reveal some things and make you a better person. And then you say, Lord, I see myself as you see me. And when you can see yourself like the Lord sees you, you're on your way to healing a lot of resentment, hurt, anger, strife, and offense. I hope that's okay today, Mission Point. You see, the Lord wants us to see who we are in light of how he sees us. To not see our world through eyes that have been blurred by all the events and things that have happened to us. Often we see ourselves as victims and we blame everyone who's hurt us. And we justify bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and envy and resentment. And sometimes it's so bad that we resent people that even remind us of what someone else has done to us. That's deep. It's down there. And the Lord wants you to be free of that type of offense. Would you stand this morning? I wonder, for just a moment, if you could lift up your hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus believe that there's a a touch of God in this room right now that has ministered to some people's lives and shown some things within them that they have tried to hide for a long time. I don't know you. I don't know your story, but I do know the Lord knows, and he sees exactly what you deal with every day. And God, I pray there would be a spirit of conviction, Jesus, that we talk of so often. I pray, Lord, it would settle upon the hearts of each individual in this room right now. Of God, any any heart, Lord Jesus, that's becoming hard, embittered, 
wrestling with unforgiveness and anger and strife. I pray, God, as that has been exposed today, I pray that the heart of repentance would come. I pray, God, that the decision to turn from that way of living and acting would turn, God, to a new way of forgiving and releasing and seeing themselves in light of who you are. I'm going to ask the, the musicians to come back here right now. You know, a lot of times in moments like this, we just want to rush through it. But I think after you've heard teaching in this respect, and there's a whole lot more we could talk about. In teaching like this, it, it, really, it really helps us if we remain in God's presence for a few minutes. We could say a quick prayer, and I could say, be on your way. Have a good afternoon. But I think there comes a moment when the Lord can show us some things in the stillness of where we stand if we let him. So we're going to play some, some music here. And I want you to just to continue to worship the Lord where you are. Because I believe God's showing you some stuff. Maybe you said, why am I acting like this? How come I feel so much anger? Why can't I just forgive? Why can't I just let go? Why is there strife? Why am I always up and now how come I can't release myself from this? And maybe there's some, some real conversations you need to have with some people that build bridges and not tear them down. You know, I want to tell you this. I, I, I counseled someone the other day and I told this to them. When you go to somebody who you've had an issue with, it better be to make them your brother or sister again. And it should not be to tell them all they've done wrong so they feel bad. Look what you did to me. That means your heart still needs worked on. Because any conversation we have with fellow Christians and family, it is supposed to be, as the scripture says, to gain your brother, to gain your sister. It should not be to cause and inflict pain on anybody. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost in this church today. God's talking to some people and where you're at. And that word repentance keeps coming back into my mind like a freight train. If there is some things in your spirit that's causing you to have a hardened heart, it's consuming you. messes with how you sleep and how you interact I tell you what the Lord wants you to be free of that impurity in your life and for you to live free of offense in Jesus name thank you for joining us today if you want more information connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca God bless you